Uh, good morning. Uh, uh, I'm going to uh, talk about a subject which is um, uh, unpleasant but always with us, and I think uh, represents a uh, major challenge to the Unitarian Universalist faith, and that's about the subject of war and peace. Um, today, uh, I'm going to propose, uh, again, for basis of discussion, because within this community, uh, we're not uh, like Quakers who have an, a, a relatively uniform uh, view about the role or, or the illegitimacy of violence, whether it's individual or state-sponsored. What I'm going to talk about today is the, the challenges for this faith of ours to come to grips with um, the human race as it is. Remember, we're part of this great debate. Are we fallen angels or risen apes? And uh, that's a, a central question. Um, we're also dealing with, in some sense, uh, this community or our society at large, with um, a kind of a grand disillusionment. That is, after the great, what I would call World War III, which did not lead to the use of thermonuclear weapons, but the struggle with the Soviet empire, uh, its collapse and end was, um, in many ways, a historic miracle uh, that it didn't lead to massive violence as that empire had collapsed. And so we became very attracted to the idea that we had passed a threshold, uh, if you will, what Francis, Francis Fukuyama, a former colleague of mine at the Rand Corporation, described in a book called The End of History and the Last Man. And it was an argument which basically said, the great contest between uh, society, this was, we, we had, we'd, we'd arrived at a period of democratic peace and free markets. I mean, that, and that was an extraordinarily popular idea. Our first shock, our first grand uh, disillusionment was 9-11 and dealing with the fact that uh, we were dealing with basically an Islamic version of Islamo-Bolshevism. Uh, this is the Salafist jihadis, whose who, religious faith is uh, extraordinarily intolerant. And this raised the first wave of questions 20 years ago, and that is how should we respond to this uh, highly uh, authoritarian, predatory ideology, which was global. Uh, it was an argument saying there are no boundaries, uh, and uh, the opponent, had unlimited war aims. As you all know, we responded in two fashions. One, carrying out two wars of occupation in both Afghanistan and in um, Iraq. Um, and then finally, we carried out this form of systematic targeted killing, as it was called, targeted assassination, increasingly using uh, robotized aircraft to search for and kill individuals who were a part of this movement, first uh, Al-Qaeda, then ISIS. Um, the other, the, the, even after that event, uh, we were sort of hoping, uh, and there were a number of, 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 of very smart people articulating why war between great states, especially those who were armed with nuclear weapons, would not go to war with each other. And there's a book that I recommend that you all read, uh, Steven Pinker, uh, titled, um, The Better Angels of Our Nature. 
which, looking at the statistics, both on domestic violence and interstate violence, there was a period of decline. Unfortunately, you could argue this was an intra-war period, and that's what's happened to us. And finally, the two other books I'd recommend, one uh, by John Mueller, which is appropriately titled The Stupidity of War, American Foreign Policy, and the Case for Complacency. Now, what he was talking about was the idea that we had widely overreacted to 9-11 and that we should, uh, if you will, metaphorically uh, get a brown bag and stop hyperventilating uh, and, and breathe into it. Uh, so that was the argument. And there was very powerful arguments that we were on powerful positive trends. <clears throat> Another book, though, that I recommend by Uval Harari, a young anthropologist, uh, it, he wrote a book that is about us called Sapiens, uh, which is a history of the human race, uh, which I think is extremely insightful. And then he wrote a second book called Homo Deus, which is about us now. And uh, he was, before the fact, articulating why certain aspects of our human nature, and again, this comes back to this great debate about who are we, and where are we from, and how do we, uh, if you will, with all of our enormous power now in our hands, if you will, satisfy our desires for peace, uh, justice, uh, and shared prosperity, without destroying our, our welfare, our livelihoods, uh, our circumstance. That is the whole point of the environmental movement. But be as it may, the question really is, and I will posit it to you, and I'm sure some of you may strongly degree, disagree, is that to address the current circumstance, which is dominated by three wars that are underway. One, the unfinished war between the Salafist Jihadis. Uh, and that is the role of what we would call in our business counterterrorism. Two, the ongoing great war, tremendous shock uh, to the Europeans above all, less to us because we had been at war for a long period of time with the Salafist Jihadis as a society, the idea that Frank Fukuyama's notion of the end of history basically was destroyed by basically one human being, and that's Vladimir Putin. And basically, Vladimir Putin made the same argument, by the way, before the fact, as Adolf Hitler made the argument in Mein Kampf in the 1920s, why his country had the right to act as a predator. And that's uh, what the war, in many ways, Russia and Ukraine is about. And then the question is, helping Ukraine defend itself, is that legitimate or not? And then finally, we have the ongoing conflict in the Middle East, or I should say the latest round of conflicts that have occurred. And this was Fatah's attack on Israel. <clears throat> they used the tools and techniques of the Mongols or of ISIS, hyperterrorism, in the hope of actually creating the circumstance for a wider um, war between the United States and Israel and their patron, which is Iran. And I would just briefly say the relationship between Iran and its allies in the Middle East is not like Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda is what I would call a universalist movement, like Bolshevism, in the belief that there is the Ummah, the people, 
of which national boundaries don't matter. Iran, in many ways, is a state which has its own great ambitions uh, to become the dominant power, and also the issue of the split between the Sunnah and Shia, which is something that many Americans, uh, to be frankly, especially many Americans before the fact, before we decided to invade Iraq, were oblivious to these distinctions. Um, as I mean, the, the story here of our engagement with Islam is a story of what I would call arrogance and ignorance, be as it may. So we have uh, this ongoing conflict. The United States, once again, many of us have been writing about this in the specialty press. Others have been debating it. Uh, about how we should be drawing down, reducing our presence, our engagement. Well, Fatah, with malice of forethought, drew us back in. And we have our president, who has given fulsome support to uh, Bibi Netanyahu, the prime minister, president, pr the prime minister, excuse me, of Israel, even though, personally, he loathes them. And why did he do that? And the answer is, he wanted to signal to Iran and one of the major allies of Iran in Lebanon, do not get engaged in this conflict. That's why we have two carrier battle groups uh, in the region and why we are now using military force against the Houthi, who are another ally of Iran, who are attempting to interrupt global trade. So we are getting sucked into this. So one of the questions for us is, is there a just war theory? And I wanted to sort of read to you, this is the theory of just war, which by the way is the basis for our, U our, our UN construct of what is the laws of armed conflict. Now again, in this community, there are a number of us, I, I, we, I haven't seen a recent polling because this issue really hasn't been discussed within the UTU community in the last year or two, interestingly enough, in any fulsome way that I'm aware of, it's been focused elsewhere, more inward looking, I would argue. Well, what are the seven principles of the just war theory? The war must be fought on, on a legitimate authority. This is very important uh, from, a, from a, you know, who has the right to use violence? And this is very much a part of the debate in the United States about gun control. Who has the ultimate authority to use violence? Two. The war must be just. Three, right intentions, a last resort. Uh, reasonable hope of justice, that is the outcome, is this not going to be simply mass murder? Uh, this, by the way, raises a very fundamental, uh, both practical and theoretical question, which is beyond the scope of this presentation, but I'd happy to discuss it with you uh, off, offline <clears throat> later during the talk back. And that is, what is the role of thermonuclear weapons in our national security policy? And are they utterly illegitimate because they are an example of the disproportionate use of force? That is, therefore, they should be uh, unworkable and unusable. Unfortunately, events are unfolding um, as a result, especially of the Russian-Ukraine war, where Russia is making increasing threats to use nuclear weapons to compensate for the fact that its decision to invade uh, Ukraine has turned out to be a geostrategic disaster. In other words, uh, will Moscow at some point in the future actually use nuclear weapons 
shall we say, to try to shoot its way out of the saloon, uh, out of a disastrous turn of events. We don't know that story yet, but that is a possibility. Uh, again, hope of justice. Uh, and again, the conflict should be used with, the force should be used with discrimination. No uh, indiscriminate use against civilians. Now, we all should remember our own history um, uh, that is, during World War II, during the Korean War, uh, we used air power because of the limitations of its technology to basically burn down cities, we and our allies, because in the end, we could not carry out precision bombardment. We had developed a bomb site uh, before World War II, which we imagined we could put the bombs into a pickle barrel. That turned out for practical reasons of weather, German, uh, uh, Japanese air defenses, etc. In the end, we were driven inexorably against even the sense of the laws of war to basically burn down cities. So it's not like, and then we used two atomic weapons. Naturally, the Russians remind us of this. Uh, but again, we have been very intent when we use violence, even our protracted counterinsurgencies to try to limit civilian casualties, and the technology is matured now, so where you can have basically a weapon launched 600 miles away from here and fly through this window. And in fact, it may not even have high explosives. And so the intent was, we are going to fight and try to minimize casualties. Uh, this, clearly, the, the attitude of the Russian uh, leadership is, we're using precision-guided weapons robotized, if you will, forms of bombardment to basically destroy the Ukrainian civil civilization to win the war. Again, there has to be this balance, the final proposition, proportion, that is, is the conflict worth fighting for? And is it our intervention ultimately going to cost, uh, create more uh, harm than good, and so that's the judgment. And so the uh, proposition I would put in front of you is to what degree does the just war theory, is that to any degree in our community operational or not? I am a long-term practitioner in this business. Um, I've been a Unitarian Universalist formally for 40 years, although my background in my family was Congregationalist, so I had, if you will, roots in this regard out of New England and the Midwest. And I also have been party to the national security military establishment for 50 years. And I had uh, uh, experience within the CIA and the State Department addressing all of these issues, both from the point of view of preparing for or responding to, if you will, war, Russian invasion of Afghanistan, etc. And on the flip side, I spent much of my career involved with what we would call nuclear arms control, which was an attempt to moderate control this very tense relationship we had with the Soviet Empire without it igniting uh, a, a thermonuclear war or frankly uh, impoverishing us because we had an out-of-control arms race or competition. And so again, the question is, how do, we, how do we come to grips with this? What are our choices? And um, frankly, from my own personal point of view, I've been a little concerned that 
the community has, it has lots of issues on the agenda, has kind of looked the other way, uh, consciously or unconsciously, that this problem is too hard or too unpleasant. And so I am here in front of you today uh, to suggest that um, Leon Trotsky was right, the revolutionary leader, the head of the Red Army during the Russian Revolution who was assassinated in Mexico by Stalin, that you, now, you, you, now, you may not be interested in war, but war is interested in you. And unfortunately, we are in another period like this. And I would also sort of say, conclude with my remarks, is that <clears throat> this subject of war and peace has now been uh, profoundly wrapped up in our domestic politics. The United States is going through a period that has features of our prior to our Civil War. We are in a period in some ways like the 1850s. And two, it's very similar, both domestically and foreign. We're living in a world in the spirit of the commentary by um, Mark Twain. History doesn't repeat itself, it rhymes. And this period is rhyming, and it's worthwhile for you to pay attention to uh, the late 1930s, especially domestically. And as we see, as we speak, the whole question about further aid to Israel, to Ukraine, is wrapped up in domestic politics. In a period of time where now the crisis that has occurred, where I would argue the uh, Republican Party has now mutated into uh, an increasingly religiously intolerant neo-isolationist movement led by the current version of Huey Long, uh, a, a brilliant populist who basically understands emotively in the same way that Adolf Hitler or Mussolini did relating to a vast number of voters. And so we're in a crisis over this and we may soon see, within the next week or two, as to whether aid is further provided with Ukraine at the height of their military need. Uh, remember, from our point of view, aid to Ukraine is the perfect form of supporting somebody who's willing to fight and die for themselves. Um, one of our grand disillusionments has been our attempts to prop up or create viable nations in Afghanistan and Iraq ended in abject failure after a vast expenditure of certainly of resources, not so much blood compared to the civilians and the military on the other side, but again, the question is when and under what circumstances should we support or not the use of state violence in the support of our interests? And again, the dilemma we have and the dilemma of pacifism in my opinion. And although I would argue Gandhi and Martin Luther King uh, had, a, had an, an enormous success, that was because their opponent had limits, democratically, morally, societally. And then the question is, when do we, de when we, de when do we de how do we deal with predators which basically have no limits, that are basically not uh, they, they, are, they are the, as they say, the lizard side of us. Uh, 
the sociopathic or psychopathic side of us. And again, this has been one of our challenges uh, from my point of view, that our current rhetoric, which talks about how love will prevail over all, is uh, frankly uh, a grand and beautiful oversimplification about who we are we as the human race in the 21st century. And um, I will sort of conclude with my remarks to just sort of say to you that the challenge for us, us naked chimpanzees is that, uh, who are so bright, uh, that we now control the weapons of the cosmos. Uh, we're in the process of defouling our own biosystem because of our success, our extraordinary success. Think of what happened the last tw 20 years, 30. What happened in China and India? We saw the rise of a middle class just like us, who having the same desires, and what is the consequence of that? Is the vast increase of both wealth and the pollution and destruction of our biosphere. Because as you know, George Carlin said in a famous rift, uh, it's not about saving the human race. Uh, for all we know, the earth created the human race to produce plastics and then dispense with us. <laughs> and so that's, and so we are now in this tipping point. And then we have the issue of artificial intelligence, an old meme, by the way, the, role, the revolt of the robots was first written by a Czech by the name of Karl Kaipek in 1928, Roslam's Robots. Now remember, robot is derived from robotnik, which is labor, rise of the workers. So in some sense, it's an argument, an old Marxist argument about how the workers will rebel, except they were mechanical. Well, now, certainly in our children's lifetime, all of these issues are going to have to be managed, hopefully. On the other hand, we have to face this grim reality is when and under what circumstances is violence justified personally, or argument about what is legitimate self-defense. And then there's the question of the self-defense of the society, the state. This is all in front of us. This hasn't gone away. If anything, it's going to get more dangerous and more intense. Thank you.